Greetings to all of you. This is David Thompson from Vancouver, British Columbia. And as I said in my previous message, I know I'm going to be doing shorter messages that are within a half an hour. And they will be on what I have just meditated on in many cases. In this case, I will be giving a message that I received back a few days back. Um, and try to catch up so that I am giving messages immediately after I do my meditations. And what I seek to do is to speak as the oracles of God because it commands us in 1 Peter chapter 4, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we are to allow God by his spirit to speak through us the words that are coming from God. We are to stir up that gift and cause it to come forth, which is the spirit of prophecy. So I will seek in this message out of a consciousness of worship to allow the Spirit of God to rise up and minister through me what he would be saying to you as an individual for this particular hour and time and to the body of Christ around the world for this particular hour and time. So that this message is filled with prophetic words and teaching and revelation. And so I pray that you will receive, that you will have ears to hear what the Spirit would be saying to you in your life and to the body of Christ and to this world for this hour. Today I want to share on a meditation I received on Luke chapter 8. And so first of all, I will begin to read that passage. Luke chapter 8. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Jonah the wife of Shusha, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Now I sense maybe God is asking me just to, instead of reading this whole chapter, just to begin sharing on the sections of the chapter and read it that way through, which I've never done before, but I just had a sense about that just now. So in this first section, we have the women that minister to Christ. It says, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Jonah the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. These were women that were healed of evil spirits and infirmities. They end up having the high privilege of ministering to Christ in his ministry with the 12 disciples. It is significant that many of those that are called to have the privilege 
which it is a very high privilege to minister to Christ, to have the privilege to serve the Lord in their lives, are those that have known what it is to be in the depths of bondage and despair. Whether that is deliverance from a state of religiosity and self-righteousness like Paul the Apostle, or it is deliverance from the bondage of rejection and hurt that often has demons attached to it, demons that lie to people and cause them to believe they're being rejected and they get offended even over things that aren't true. And they have, because of unforgiveness, an imprisonment in their body of suffering. Because often unforgiveness results in the consequence of disease in a person's body in whatever form it takes. I, I don't buy into this that, you know, if you have uh, this particular um, problem spiritually in your life, then you have this disease. I've seen too many exceptions to that being the case. But we do know that it allows the enemy to have ground in our lives when we have an area in our lives that is not submitted to God out of a right heart and a right spirit that is not religious. Out of a genuine recognition of our rebellion and often what is behind people that have spirits that also cause infirmities in their body is an area of rebellion because of the hurt that they have experienced and that can be projected back onto God and saying God, why would you let this happen in my life? You couldn't really love me. You must not like the way I am. And so the cycle begins. We feel a rebellion in our hearts towards God. It might be projected in a rebellion towards those that have done the hurt to us in the first place. There is also the consequences of judgment that come upon people from their past generations, parents that have rebelled against God. And so there's the consequences of judgments that's visited on the following generations because that they came out of their parents. There was they're in, in the physical realm and the psyche, the influences that are there, that are distortions from their parents, that allow the same tendencies, though they may not commit the same sins, the same tendencies even if they commit a smaller sin, allowing ground for that judgment to continue on. But it is broken in a deep conversion to Christ. And we do see this in examples in the Word of God. 
For example, it says that a Moabite was not allowed to enter in to the temple of the Lord or to be given any blessing or wishing of blessing by the people of God to the 10th generation because of what the Moabites did against the children of Israel. You can look this up. It's all there in the word of God. And yet here we have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. And we know the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi meaning pleasant, and yet she experiences the bitterness of the consequences of her choices of not trusting the Lord in the midst of famine going into this land. So what happens when there is a um, judgment like this passed on to the next generation? The curse is broken when there's a deep conversion to Christ. And this is what happened to Ruth. As we know in the book of Ruth, she's, she comes to the place of total surrender of her life from her roots. Her roots were in idolatrous worship. Her roots were in the pride of her own family and all of those things. All of those things she died to and she came to the place where she said, your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. Your, your people will be my people and I will go with you wherever you go and I will lay down my life. I will die. I give my life entirely to you in a love relationship. She came, Ruth came to the place of surrender in the midst of a very bitter experience for her and all of her loved ones. A place of great desolation. She came to a place where maybe the bitterness and all of those rebellions in her heart were undone because she saw the example in Naomi of someone that through such contradictions still feared God, still did not shake her fist at God, still acknowledged God, and didn't understand why God was allowing it, but concluded it was because there was something wrong in her and submitted to God because she had the genuine fear of God, Naomi. She did not rebel at the consequences of God's holiness. A lot of us do not understand the holiness of God. The holiness of God is the integrity of his love. A lot of us don't understand really what God's love is. And so I, let me explain that first as well. The love of God is that quality in God that always out of his own free will consistently chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice for fulfillment and satisfaction. Therefore, this love has complete integrity. It is as it were a devouring fire of judgment against all that is contrary to that quality of love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of fulfillment. Therefore, in the love of God, there is total purity with no corruption. Because the love of God has integrity, 
This is the defensive aspect of the love of God known as the holiness of God. And the holiness of God obviously requires judgment on all that is contrary to love. Contrary to choices that do not have corruption and destructiveness in them that cannot hold life. And so, when we come to a place in our lives where we acknowledge the holiness of God and we don't rebel against it, but we have the attitude of Naomi in her bitterness of still acknowledging the Almighty because she has such a reverence and fear of God. And that's what Ruth saw in Naomi. And as a result of that, she experienced a breakthrough in her life where she saw that all of these things from her past, the idolatrous worship, all of these things that were in her life were not real, were not true, had corruption in them, had no meaning or fulfillment in it. She saw it in the example of Naomi. And she surrendered to the beauty of God's holiness. See, many of us don't recognize that out of this integrity of God's love is where wholeness comes from because this holiness is what will not tolerate corruption and corruption is what destroys wholeness. It allows basically even what's found in science in the absorption, observation of the whole universe, which is the second law of thermodynamics which states that anything left on its own will always go in the direction of greater and greater disorder to total destruction and total randomness and so when we rebel against the holiness of God we are cut off from the life of God from the wholeness that only God can give for we were created by God for his pleasure and only find our destiny and our fulfillment and our wholeness in whom has created us. God is the very source of life because his love has integrity, his holiness. It can contain unlimited life and power without dissipation, without corruption, without corrupting. And so therein is wholeness. And out of wholeness is great beauty. And this is the foundation that allows God to be the very source of life and for life to go on in greater and greater expressions of creator creativity and enlargement that never ends. Now I am sharing this because so many of us get a distorted image of God like Cain, is somehow being holy but not recognizing the goodness of God behind his holiness. Because we get our eyes focused on the consequences of suffering and of all the contradictions and the hurt and the pain in our own lives. But in the case of Ruth, she saw this tremendous fear of God in Naomi that was unconditional in her trust and reverence towards God through the trial. 
and it brought her to the place where she repented of the rebellion in her own life and had a deep conversion where she could say, Thy God shall be my God, and thy people shall be my people, and where you go, I will go, and where you die, I will die. And it is that that is the root that needs to be undone. It is the spirit of rebellion against the consequences of suffering in our lives that is projected against God, whether we're even conscious of it or not. And that causes bitterness in people's lives. And when there is that true repentance that comes out of the ministry of the Word of God, which Christ gave towards Mary Magdalene, and they, Mary saw, and all of these that had these demons and had these infirmities, they saw in Christ one that was full of grace and truth, as it says in 1 John. Oh, I could turn to these passages, but I won't for time. It says that we, we were eyewitnesses of his glory, of someone that was so filled with grace and truth. The grace comes out of the truth. The Lord did not spare. He was holy, and he did not spare reproving on holiness. And that would be very easy to rebel against, the severity of his words against rebellion and unholiness. But Mary Magdalene in them received his word, and he cast out those demons that were in them. There were demons of hurt and rejection against maybe hurt that people had done to them and against the Lord. He cast out the demons of offense that lied to them. The people were rejecting them when they weren't being rejected and so on the demons of unforgiveness that the Lord says if you do not forgive you will be put in a prison house of torment. Remember the parable of the one that was required because he had failed to pay his master and his master had mercy on him and then he turns around and he fails to forgive those that owe him money and oppresses them and throws them in prison. He didn't recognize the greatness of the mercy of God because he didn't see in the first place maybe the holiness of God and submit to that and realize his guilt and his unworthiness that he deserves hell, that he deserves judgment. Rather, he took on a religious mindset, many people. Like Cain, thinking that our performance somehow is pleasing to God and that God is this holy dictator, failing to see the beauty and the wholeness behind the holiness of God, which is the foundation from which we recognize that God is good and therefore brings the obvious conclusion if he is good, he must ultimately have the power to forgive. And so then we recognize the greatness of God's mercy. And this was the case from the time of Adam and Eve till now. That people, out of recognizing the holiness of God without rebellion like Abel, came to the realization that therefore God must be good. Therefore, he must be merciful. And therefore, it's not my performance. In this case, the Lord cast out these demons and the curse was broken, it says in Galatians. 
that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the curse of those judgments from previous generations will not have ground to be in us when we have a deep conversion and we walk in a deep and total sold-out love relationship with God. But that must mean that we first recognize the greatness of His holiness and the beauty of it, and therein we will only be able to recognize the greatness of His mercy towards us and of His grace towards us, which will fill us with thankfulness so that the last thing we would want to do was to hold odd and offense against someone else when we see how great God's mercy and grace has been to us. And when that happens in our lives, brothers and sisters, the demons that would be attached to us, we could command them to go, or we can have someone pray for us, and they will leave, and the spirits of infirmity will leave, and there will be even healing in our bodies. And so we have then the privilege to minister to Jesus Christ. Now I will continue to read in this passage the following scriptures. From verses 4 to 15. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the falls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. In this passage, the Lord makes it clear in verse 10 that unto the disciples he would make known what the meaning of this parable was, but not unto others. Because 
they would see and would not see. They would hear and might understand, and God did not want them to understand. Why? Because they were not faithful with, with the truth that God had already given them. God in his holiness is severe against all that is contrary to his love, especially towards those that have the truth and hold it in unrighteousness. And so he allows them to be blinded because they refuse to respond to the revelation of his holiness which is in the ministration of his word for one thing and in even all those things that we observe in creation I'm not going to go into all of that but I want to say this the Lord himself said take heed lest the light that is within you be darkness. And if it is, how great is that darkness? It is very important that as believers, we guard our heart. We are to guard our heart, as it says in Proverbs, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In this passage of scripture, the Lord is wanting us to be in such a relationship with him that we do not allow hardness in our hearts from the various things that are revealed in this parable. The first thing that veil is the veiling of the heart. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. There are those that are subject to the demonic influences in their heart. They are subject to believing lies. And they no longer find within their heart the motive to want the truth. Because the enemy blinds them. It says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that believe not, lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel and be saved. The light of the glorious gospel. The enemy is allowed to blind those who are open to his spirit of rebellion against the holiness of God that requires judgment. That comes in the form of the serpent that whispers and says, and whispers doubts in the ears, hath God said, and they buy into the lie that they can be their own God and justify whatever the belief system is, whether it is evolution or a philosophical belief system in some kind of a meditation that you can, through some kind of meditation, get rid of ego when all you're doing is refining ego beyond the comprehension of your mind and depersonalizing yourself and believing in something that is hopeless, 
that is some kind of state of bliss that has no meaning or purpose or reality that is greater than even your present reality. Whatever it is, we buy into these things because the demons are able to blind us because our heart is open to their blinding. We're not hungry for wanting truth enough to go beyond and find out if what we're believing is a lie. And so we have many examples in this parable of different conditions of heart. All of these are conditions of hardness of heart. One is more open to the demonic deceptions and influences and pro probably in many cases in this day and age just give themselves to the attraction of the occult which is so filled with evil and darkness. And bring such terrible consequences on the, the people that become involved in it unless they repent and believe the truth of the gospel. Then we have those they on the rock, which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. So even after we have had a measure of conversion, it could be that our conversion is very shallow, that we haven't had a deep appreciation for the holiness of God. that brings us to recognize in the light of our holiness of his holiness our own unworthiness of his mercy and grace there is a measure there is a measure of conversion that happens but it's a shallow measure of conversion that happens and so then when a trial comes along We become bitter that God allowed that thing to happen in our lives. And we turn away from believing that he could be possibly real in our lives and be our life source. We've been deceived. Because there was a shallow work of conversion. There were, the root did not go down deep into our heart. Now, it can be that a person then goes through a period of unbelief, like the dark ages that happened in church history, where there was a lot of darkness. And that brings one to a place of such strong cornering by God through the choices they made, the consequences of those choices reap circumstances that corner them into a place that is very serious where like the prodigal son they come to a far deeper conversion we have this mentioned in Isaiah 28 and I suppose I could go there and just read that briefly and point that out to you from Luke 8 we'll just go up to um, Isaiah 28 but now I see that my time is gone and I have a tendency to preach for a long time. And so I will just tell you in this message, if you go to Isaiah 28, you will discover that there is two ways of receiving God's word. One is receiving it as a babe so that it bears fruit in our lives 
and the other is receiving it in a religious way so that it causes us to stumble and fall and enter into a place of total apostasy from God. But then we're in a place where finally maybe we can have a deep and real conversion. Thank you. I could, I'd love to have preached this whole chapter. I have a lot here more I could preach on. But there will be a right time for these things. Thank you for listening to this message, and God bless you all.